Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds presented by Bad Medicine, DC's best comedy about the worst of humanity. Here on Sketch Nerds, we break down sketch comedy. What we like, what we don't like, what works, and what doesn't work. Today, we'll be discussing sketches from Saturday Night Live and The Human Giant. Joining me, as always, are Seth Alcorn and Julian Morgan. I'm Andy Weld, and today we are excited to have our first guest, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. E.K., how you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. Well, great. We're really excited to have you on the show. Why don't you give us a little bit of your comedy background? Uh, I am one of the founding members of Bad Medicine, and, you know, that's I just spend a lot of time with comedy, and that is about the extent of my qualifications to be here. Good, good. Well, we're all equally qualified as you, um, yeah. so it's off to a great start. That's literally what when people ask me, like, what is your comedy background? I'm just like, Ugh. I like it a lot. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I told jokes and my parents said I was funny, so here we are. Up first today, we will be discussing a sketch from Saturday Night Live called Halftime Dance, or Halftime Inspiration, maybe. We, we don't know what it's called. It's not a name it for may it. may have a title. But uh, <laughs> I'll throw it to EK now uh, for the read. Sure. So this is a 2007 Saturday Night Live sketch about a disheartened basketball team returning to the locker room after a brutal first half. Will Forte stars as the earnest coach trying to inspire them to keep hope alive. Forte recognizes that he'll need more than a speech to motivate his team. And so he reveals a cassette tape that he claims features a song used by UCLA coaching legend John Wooden to inspire some of the greatest turnarounds in sports history. After pressing play on a, I think, a comically small boombox, the song is revealed to be Herb Alpert's and the Tijuana Brass Band's jazzy and very upbeat theme to the 1967 film Casino Royale. What follows is then nearly 90 seconds of increasingly frenzied bouncing, jazz hands, kicks, twirls, and any other form of bad dancing that ultimately went over the heart and mind of the sketch's other star performer, Peyton Manning. It ends with Peyton joining Forte as the two joyously make their way back to the court, seemingly unaware that the other players have stayed behind and abandoned the game. And now here's a clip. Come on, sit your buns back down. Okay, we can't just give up. But coach, these guys are so good. And I'm very, very scared of them. I mean, can I be real with you right now? I mean, like, really, really real? Yes. I just thought about going out there for the second half, and a little bit of pee came out. <laughs> I mean, right out of the gate, I, this is just one of the the most remarkable comedic performances I've ever seen. I've always had a soft spot for Will Forte, but this one in particular, just it it it's magic. Um, What's so magic about it? You know, I I think there are a couple of key things happening here. First is just the the total commitment that he has from the first second the sketch starts, and certainly all the way through the dance. He 
just seems to be completely locked in, never breaks character. Um, but even while he's doing it, it's there is a moment where it's not quite clear if it's Will Forte or if it's a character. It comes across as completely sincere and earnest and just the joy and the fun that he's having. And that really comes across. I think one of the great things that this sketch manages to pull off is being able to do or have 90 seconds, as you noted, of Will Forte dancing and truly getting increasingly funnier throughout. Oftentimes, I think when sketches have some kind of long, extended, whether it's a speech or a dialogueless build, they hit a point that it's gotten to be funny, and then you're kind of waiting for that ne- that section to end. And he really hits the apex when Peyton Manning joins him. Yeah, that was a really a really good beat for for him to come in on. Like right when it looks like Will Forte might be running out of moves, he's starting to repeat a couple of things, and then Peyton Manning comes in, and it's just it is newly hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so and that's like I think that's probably the third the, the dancing part is maybe the third. Uh, yeah, third beat of the sketch where because like what they do is they they set up that that trope of um, halftime speeches and we've all been there for movies we've seen we've all seen those and they so they they set up that expectation and then they they immediately turn on its head by saying you know with the first with the first sort of joke where he's like um, uh, where, where he talks about peeing his pants right yeah yeah and, he's, and so like he's he's trying to be motivational himself so he's like I've been where you guys are. If I if if I hadn't peed my pants, um, the, and I, I wouldn't be who I am today, right? And then so that that doesn't work, and so the next beat is then, uh, I think just them dancing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like so it 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 it, it escalates it escalates to the dancing in a really great way because we already know those tropes from all those sports movies for halftime, you know, pep talks. Absolutely. Now, ek. One of the interesting things about this sketch is all that's done that's not on the page. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So, I mean, I I would love to see what this sketch did look like on a page because essentially what it is is coach tries to inspire team, dances, only wins over one guy. You know, I, I don't know how you would sell that, really, but somehow it's just, it's comedy gold. But... Uh, I mean, this is a great example for me of something that, you know, I don't know how much of it was planned or not, but you have everything kind of working in support of the absurdity of this joke here, where it's down to the costume, you know, he's kind of in this everyman outfit, these, like, beaten up sneakers and ill-fitting pants, and even as he's dancing, you know, his his hair is kind of bouncing and flopping in time with the music and his face is just completely lit up. And there's just no, I don't know how you would write that on the page. Um, and so that that kind of speaks to the power of performance as much as anything else and casting. Um, but it's, it's, it's really incredible just how perfectly all of those planned and unplanned elements came together. Absolutely. And and Seth, when you're reading something and the stage direction says something like, and the actor dances, when you're reading that at e- either first at the table or when you're actually starting to put it up, how do you approach a vague direction like that that you know can really sometimes be the crux of a scene? Well, I think the important thing here is uh, knowing your performers. 
I, I mean, put it uh, to put it this way: if you gave me that sketch, I would have flop sweat from the moment it said actor dances because I don't know what I'm going to do except some really lame, like uh, bad disco crap. Because that was funny in the '90s when I was in high school. Um, can you make it more about you, though? Can I? Can yeah. I? I think I could. <laughs> um, but Will Forte is clearly very, very comfortable doing physical comedy. Um, I. It looks like he's had some dance training, frankly. Uh, and you have to have, and I, I don't think this is exaggerating, you have to have a virtuoso performer who can just do 90 seconds of what looks like improvised dance and as E.K. said, just have this sort of joy shining out of him. Um, I, I just want to—I I, want to tack onto that a little bit. I think the coach mustache they gave him, right? Really, like every facial yeah. expression he has during the dance is amplified by the fact that he's got a coach mustache. One of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about is uh, Peyton Manning in this sketch. Oh, yeah. And so Peyton Manning, obviously, he was a. Uh, an NFL quarterback for 18 seasons. He played for the Colts and the Broncos, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But he also has done a lot of acting or commercial acting. Um, been on Saturday Night Live twice, I believe. And so I think the question I want to like ask about Peyton Manning, both in this sketch and maybe elsewhere, is he good or is he good for an athlete? That's that's a that's a great question. Um, <laughs> He's probably one of the better athletes that that performed on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you do you think he's good? I I, I think he was, I think he was good for like and I, I think he was good for the set that he was in. Um, and I would even wager that like uh, that Will Forte actually wrote the sketch. He did. So, he, yeah, did. he did. He right. did. Uh, John Lutz. Right. So 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 Will Will knew how long he was going to dance. What kind of dance he was doing? I'm sure he had it in his head. And then bringing Peyton and Manning on, like just giving him something fun to do that's not necessarily delivering jokes. It's just like, you know, give him something physical to do so to get like that way, you know, you know, it takes it takes the pressure off of him. And so just like giving him something to do like that, something physical to do and dancing obviously is like, I mean, he's a uh, sorry, he's a tall white guy. Like, I mean, it, it's not his uh, his strength area. Of yeah, strength. yeah, yeah. Well, he, he managed very well for the most part. I mean, there are some. There are some moments where, planned or not, he managed to pick up exactly what the cues were from Forte and and join in on the fun. And I mean, I think was equally as committed to it at the end as anything else. And I mean, the the jokes that he has that are front loaded in the sketch, he he manages to deliver very well. I mean, I don't I I don't think they're actually the strongest jokes necessarily, but w the material he has, he he did a great job with it. And then. I mean, what's interesting when you look at the performance of Peyton Manning here is to contrast it with um, Michael Phelps, who then was actually in the follow-up to this sketch, where it was almost exactly the same sketch, but for, at least for me, the magic that was somehow captured in this one just wasn't there. And there is a big contrast in the performance, the commitment uh, between Phelps and Peyton Manning. And I mean, overall, I'd say that's that was just a great episode of SNL in general, the Peyton Manning episode. Yeah, I think I think his I think his character Peyton Manning was like it also was part of that star athlete trope too. So instead of being the star athlete that's like trying to also motivate his players, well, the players and mm -hmm. stuff like that, he's he's the opposite and was like, I want to go home and 
kiss my French kissing bear. Like, you know, like, so like, so it, at all at once, it sets up these, ex, this, this expectation of you're down by how, however many, we need to come together as a team. He immediately is just like, no, I want to go home. And the coach is just like, well, I pee my pants. So I pee my pants just like you guys, you know? And so it, 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 it already just like flips it on its head. And then, the, and then that's where the funny kind of comes in. Right. So like, so the, so the jokes were like, you know, where he's like, the, I'm like, I want to go home and French kiss my bear or whatever. It's like, it seems out of place. But then if you just remember that, like, this is a, a sports trope, then, sure. then, yeah. then, 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 then it kind of makes sense. He, um, the, uh, EK, you, you talked about earnestness earlier. And I think Peyton Manning had a very successful earnestness in in his delivery i always enjoy it when somebody is comfortable making fun of themselves yeah. and his whole character as, as julian was just saying is a subversion of the star athlete trope everything he says is against what that type should say um like going to, gonna go home and bake snickerdoodles with my bros is is a pretty good example um but he believed it or his character yeah. believed it and his i game his, his game, game the whole time right and yeah. that uh he he really sold that and especially when he he gets up and starts dancing he is also having a good time like when he he grabs he does yeah. air guitar on will forte's leg and they're both just yeah. they they're so happy to be doing what they're doing that you want to go along with them and i i think um what what you were saying, EK, about the commitment difference between Peyton Manning and Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps is having an okay time. Um, he, he he he's okay being there, but he's not really excited about it, or at least he doesn't read excited about it the same way that Peyton Manning did. All right, that's a lot of stuff we liked about the sketch, or stuff that worked well. What about what could be done better? Where were some of the weaknesses in the sketch, EK? Uh, well, so as as someone who cares a lot about writing and reliability and predictability. And those are actually some of the things the, the ability to replicate something is, is one of the things I like about sketch as opposed to say improv. What gives me pause about this one in particular is that because there are so many different variables in it and it's not clear which variable is really making this as funny as it is, it would be very difficult to replicate. And in, and in fact, when they did try to replicate it uh, in the Michael Phelps version, uh, like I said, in my opinion, it just doesn't hit the same way. And is that because it, it was really that the song was what was kind of making the first version sing? Is it the fact that it was just Will Forte making up dancing on the spot and being really excited about it and it was fresh and new? Is it the lighting or the, the environment they're in? Um, it, all the the variables that maybe they they tried to play with a little bit did seem to have an impact on the sketch, even though on the surface it was virtually identical. And I, I was actually just thinking, like, so the the dancing is for me is like that's that's the, that's the third beat of the sketch. That's where they heightened to, and I wish they could have maybe had like a second level underneath that between the I pee my pants, maybe another rallying cry that fails and then the dancing uh but again it's snl so they are crunch for time so like they probably just want to get to the dancing part as fast as they can uh but like if it was just a regular show i'd, I'd want to see the, in that middle part yeah there's there. less 
clear escalation of the game. It's kind of, there's this whole setup of the troops are down, trying to rally them. There's no sense that we're building towards a dance number. And I think that's fine. I think that works well. It's, it, it keeps you on your toes. It's unexpected. But it does, it does break a little bit of what you would traditionally expect in terms of there's a first beat and then the second beat is bigger and then the third beat is bigger. It's like there are a couple of beats and then there's a big beat uh, in this sketch. I think maybe some, some action from the, uh, the rest of the players would have been interesting. It's, I mean, they have to be there. Right. In in both uh, the Peyton Manning and the Michael Phelps sketch, we are rallying a group of people. It's not just one on one. But in neither of those sketches, do they really contribute much to the build? They're they're just sort of there. There's um, there's having facial expressions. Yeah, there's something interesting that I wanted to talk about about the background performers in that sketch. When Will Forte starts dancing, they start breaking. You can see in the background, anyone who's got a towel on their lap has moved it to their mouth. They are trying their hardest not to laugh. And that is something famously that Lorne Michaels, the producer of SNL, hates. Really, really does not like breaking. Audiences, however, love when actors break, or when it is a deserved break. It's uh, right. famously in that uh, Debbie Downer sketch. In the Debbie Downer sketch, the actors are always breaking. Um, and it, it, it adds to the sketch. And why do people like when actors break? It, um, it breaks down the fourth wall in a way that very little else does, including audience participation. It's like when the person on stage laughs, it's the same thing you're laughing at. There's this weird level of human connection that you now have, whereas before you were watching somebody perform, you were now enjoying the performance with them. And yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I, I do think it's strange that Lauren Michaels doesn't like breaking because Horatio Sands and Jimmy Fallon were on that show for a very long yes, time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the kings of it. All right. Any final thoughts on this sketch? EK? Uh, just, you know, a, a great moment in comedy history. And if you're not watching Last Man on Earth, you should be. It's a great show. More Will Forte. Ooh. Absolutely. It's excellent. Seth? Stop watching. Uh, I would watch a sketch that is just Will Forte and Peyton Manning dancing like idiots for up to two minutes. It's a good limit. Julian? My last thoughts are filled with regret. (laughs) (laughs) About the sketch, though. About the sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I thought it was a a good sketch to get someone who's not comfortable acting, who was not an actor, uh, just get them comfortable and you know, get them doing something stupid and silly so that the audience can get on board as well. Absolutely. And this sketch, unlike the two sketches we discussed last week, had a pretty solid ending. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe, Bad Medicine, DC's best comedy about the worst of humanity. I'm in that group. We're all in that group. It's fucking awesome. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for showtimes, funny videos, and hilarious t-shirts. But I guess that's... You know, I guess that's up to people's opinion. All right, now we're talking about Human Giant, which was a two-season MTV sketch show helmed by Aziz Ansari, Rob Hubel, and Paul Scheer. Uh, all three of them have gone on to some degree of success. Uh, Ansari and Scheer, uh, arguably more than Hubel. Uh, 
Um, this yeah. is, I just wanted to, well, I'm just saying, come on. He was funny. No, he's, he's funny, but you know, he doesn't like have a, sh- well, he's on a show, but he didn't have his own show, you know? And he yeah. also wasn't on anything as, as big as Parks and Rec in a, he does, know, he does a ton of commercials. He does a ton of commercials. I'm not yeah. saying he's not successful. I'm just saying, I think Aziz Ansari and Paul <laughs> Shear are more successful than Emmy Rob winner. Hubel. Yeah, Fight sure. me internet. Yeah. Up okay. next on the Rob Hubel podcast. <laughs> 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 Who's his Seth Alcorn guy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I just I also wanted to point out that because we did uh, a Derek comedy sketch um, last week, it's it's just interesting to me that in our first two episodes we are talking about sketch groups whose members have become more famous after they were out of the sketch groups. UCB um, groups too. Uh, UCB groups too. Yeah, I didn't boy. know that Derek comedy was a UCB group, but I suppose I probably should have guessed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, human giant. Um, in general, they played with a lot of uh, lightly absurd stuff or starting off lightly absurd and then just uh, going down a, a deep well of absurdity. Um, they also like to do multi-layer sketches. I think, uh, what was it called? Oh, Catching a Predator, um, which I might end up talking about later. Somebody might. It's 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 virtually an inception of a sketch, um, which is pretty cool. And then they also like to do things like break up their sketches in between pieces, cut back and forth between um, different sketches, which, you know. I sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So this one, we're talking about Morning Zoo. And Morning Zoo features the brief adventures of a four-person Morning Zoo crew the week after a nuclear holocaust. Uh, And it's basically uh, a bunch of them cracking Morning Zoo jokes, which are uh, mm, charitably not funny. Possibly offensive. Actually, probably offensive and just flat out not funny. And and for someone who doesn't know, a morning zoo crew is? Sorry, morning zoo crew is usually the uh, morning commute to work people on uh, radio stations. Drive time radio. Uh, does anybody remember radio stations? Anyways, um, and even if it was not a talk radio station, these guys were usually more talk than music. Um, they would have sketches, they would have guests, they would do interviews, and generally they'd be obnoxious, which is what the four members of this morning zoo crew do until they send one of them out to do a, a Vox Pop or Man on the Street bit that doesn't go as intended. <laughs> um, why don't we listen to a little bit of this sketch? <laughs> Good luck! <laughs> Breastman is out there in the nuclear holocaust. Breastman, what do you see? Oh, Jesus, God. Oh, God, this is terrible. Hey, Breastman, are, uh, are you touching yourself or what? What's going on? Uh, you know, I bet he's out there just masturbating. Oh. I think that's why he left the bunker, because he needed to masturbate, and he couldn't do it with us in here. Guys, Well, what a cheery thing to hear there. Wasn't it, though? <laughs> I uh, I did want to continue on with last week's themes of just how much dark can we fit into our comedy. Yes. It's a good place to start. Seth, what do you like about this sketch? Um, I like that rather than starting lightly absurd, they just jumped right into it. There is a morning zoo crew. They have found a bunker that can withstand a nuclear holocaust all of their recording equipment is in that bunker, and they are still broadcasting as though nothing had happened. Um, and uh, I, I honestly think that uh, it, it really works when they have no choice but to acknowledge 
the truth of their situation. I think that's when it, it really starts to get funny. One of the things I like about this sketch is the way that the reveal that there has been a nuclear holocaust comes out of nowhere. It, it's almost a throwaway line in oh, itself. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, and out there in the nuclear holocaust. Well, there was a nuclear holocaust. And it it catches you off guard at first. It's not it's not funny when you first hear it because you're like, what? Right. What did I just hear? Uh, but I, th- I think it's a great kind of way to set it up. And it's complemented by throughout the sketch, and it really captures the zoo crew feel. Yes. Um, is the way that it's shot. It's a lot of these kind of like it's choppy and there's some like zooms in and out uh, that are a little weird but really fit this feeling of kind of – it almost makes you think of like a 90s commercial or something like that. Um, And that's – it's the – it's frenetic Um, and that's that zoo crew feel. Julian, what do you like about this sketch? Yeah, they they actually do have like where they film – those zoo crew like i know uh there's like a morning show in la i can't remember the guy's name but he's like a fat guy i think his his name has something to do with fat big boy big boy he's a big boy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay so like they, they actually subtle, have a subtle. <laughs> they actually have a record like they actually record his like you know with film cameras and stuff like that so so it it it, it matched that perfectly um what i what i what i liked about it too was just those subtle moments they kind of build up to that that man on the street bit uh, they build up to it very slowly, where it's like, you know, hey, we have so they, hey, we have uh, we have T-shirts made in China, so you know it's good. And and Aziz is like, dude, China's gone, like it's done, <laughs> like there's everyone's dead, you know. So like they they keep building up to that until they get to the man on the street bit. And for me, that the what's really funny is that they're like trying to hold on to a sense of normalcy, right? Um, and so like th- them, them doing this whole show was just them just kind of trying to, you know, just, just have like a normal life for a second. And, and, and that, that is just expressed through them doing their morning show. And so like when they keep dropping those little di- like those little, those little bits about the, what the world is like outside, it's hilarious. One of the, uh, things that kind of plays into that, they're just trying to like cover up the, the madness and how it changes through the sketch Early in the sketch, when uh, uh, Paul Shear's character is playing music, he kind of does it in a flippant way of like, yeah, next up, we've got more music. And then later on, after Rob Hubel's character has gone outside and presumably been attacked by the mutated people or something, it's he's doing it to like cover his like how he's feeling. And NEK, can you talk to kind of the the writing technique that's happening there or what's going on? with the right, that, that turn that happens there? Well, I, I think what's great about that moment is that it's not clear if the distress is entirely related to the death of their, their co-host or if it's that he doesn't quite know what the appropriate song is to play. And there's some, there's some argument between him and Aziz Ansari as, as, as to what, what song should come on next. Yeah. And I think Aziz... Aziz's character is very much in a place where he's mourning and Paul Shear in his ridiculous oversized cowboy hat, you know, the, the grandest gesture he seems to make in that moment is to take off his sunglasses right. that for some reason he is wearing in a bunker <laughs> in a nuclear holocaust. Very bright during a very nuclear bright. holocaust. Yeah. Um, but, but to that, to that point, you know, one of, one of the great things about this sketch and about the writing in this sketch too, is how fully realized and developed all of the characters are 
and there is not a single joke or second that is wasted on on any kind of an exchange between them that doesn't continue to underscore exactly who these people are and the role they play in the sketch. Yeah. Seth, can you talk about the characters in the sketch? Um, sure. I would I would like to talk about the characters in the well, sketch. Well, and... then I've asked the perfect <laughs> I've question. been raising my hand for like 25 minutes. It's a podcast. No one can see We're you. all in well, different rooms. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I'm, in fact, in New York. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, so... Aziz Ansari's character is my favorite. Uh, we we don't find out his name until Rob Hubel's character, Breastman or Dave, is as far as we could tell being torn apart and possibly eaten by the mutants when he cries out in pain in an extremist stinky Shane. That is Aziz Ansari's character. But Aziz's character is my favorite. Because while he starts off fully in the mode, the same mode that everybody else is, it's just a normal day, we're doing this thing, he's the first one to let it slip. And once it slips for him, he can't ever quite shield himself in that morning zoo nonsense again. Um, he's the closest audi- audience proxy that we have. Yes, he is, yeah. he is the closest audience proxy. Um, I, I think then actually after that is, is Breastman, but only after he goes outside. Um, and we don't we don't see him go outside. We just hear him describing it as terrible, which is a great choice. Which I is think, a great to choice. Just do it with audio, right? And uh, shortly after that, you know, again, he's he's ripped apart and eaten, um, and just calling out for any kind of help from his bunker mates. The help is not forthcoming. Paul Shear's character Barry, uh, I honestly like. Well, Barry and Sheila are the last two, and and I like them because they are clinging with their fingernails like they are over a cliff. They are not going to let go of the morning zoo. <laughs> it is the only thing they have keeping them together. And uh, like uh, Paul Shear's last line is like, to lose both the rapping granny and breast man in the same week, <laughs> yeah. right? His entire world got blown up the week yeah. before, but what he can't handle is losing two of his sidekicks. Yeah, and, uh, and it goes to one of my favorite lines too. Which, like, what's, what's his name? Sheila. Uh, Sheila. Yeah. It's a great bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, it's not your I fault. It's a great bit. It's not your fault. It's a great bit. Which is so funny. Like that to me, that was my favorite line. Well, and it's and it's a commitment to a bit where it's clear that it, there's probably no one listening, and they just sacrifice <laughs> yeah. their friend for a a breast joke that. I, Probably only they hurt. <laughs> and it, 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 it's, it reminds me of a sketch um, from one of the groups we looked at last week, Mitchell and Webb. They do a, a sketch called The Quiz Broadcast, which is uh, like a quiz show that's happening in a apocalyptic wasteland. And it's that same kind of clinging to reality. Uh, yeah, if I if I recall correctly, though, that one they can't even like their prizes are, are, are something like the the least mutated steak we could find or something something like like that that, (laughs) so one of the things that is parodied in this sketch is the sexism that comes up in kind of the this style this bro-y kind of almost shock jock style of radio and that's parodied in this are there any points where the parody stops working and it just feels misogynistic or does it really work throughout the whole sketch? Yeah, I'm not sure. I want to be the first one to comment on that. All right. Well, <laughs> not to be sexist, but EK. Well, Andy, as a person with tits, 
Um, well, I, I do too, to the... but they weren't. <laughs> yes, society purpose. doesn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I actually, I actually did not take any issue with sexism here. I mean, th- that is, they established the the trope easily, quickly. I mean, that is just the nature. Like, it, the problem is not with this sketch; it's with those shows. But I mean, that's you know, this is how Howard Stern has, and those types of personalities have built their whole careers. You know, would it be great if that could go away? Sure. But for purposes of this sketch, uh, I mean, Sheila is... Sheila? Sheila. Sheila. Uh, is... Look at that. No one even remembers her name. I don't remember her name. Um, <laughs> well, we all remembered her name. Okay. You re- the, men, the men remembered the name of the woman with the large breast. That actually is... You know what? I just want to pause for a I second and just... So. You should all give yourself a round of applause. That's great. <laughs> I don't um, know if I've done a good thing or a bad thing here. I yeah. remembered her name, but maybe for the wrong reasons. If for ironic purposes, I did not remember her name. If for you know serious praise, I was I was on I was I got it I was on board. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I said Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did. You sure did, Julian. That that half remembered name of a regardless, I want credit. For something. Okay. And yeah. you will get it. Your name will be written down alongside ours as a man who remembered. Uh, Unless the name it's of bad. The and then I want to be completed. written apart from you guys. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but, let's uh, keep but, going on this. Yeah. But I mean, even having her be the one to deliver the line at the end, it was a great bit, Barry. Great bit. I mean, almost through tears is. Uh, I don't think I don't think any of the other ex- remaining characters could have delivered that with the same effectiveness. I yeah. definitely agree. And I I honestly I go back and forth a little bit about this because uh EK is definitely right this was a hallmark of pick your morning zoo show this happened. They just they spend an awful lot of time on it, but is it disproportionate to what would have happened during an actual morning zoo show? No, probably not. And some of those jokes they make are actually pretty great. I mean, I know I know you didn't like some of them, but some, like as far as really capturing the energy of what those morning shows are like, oh yeah, and, absolutely. I mean, they're very they're fairly quick witted. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I think that's that is that can strike such a weird note sometimes, like a very positive note, but a crass joke that is like brilliantly executed or written um, is a really awesome thing it, it really it, it hits in such a great way that is both universal and highbrow what i love about the like the the crassness at the beginning and stuff like that because it the the emotional aspect at the end it's so much like it feels so much more earned um so like when they're doing all of the misogynistic jokes and stuff like that just like he like ek said when she's crying at the end and saying that bit worked and then but also just having aziz who's He's kind of like mostly doing the well. I guess it's Paul Shear that's mostly doing the misogynistic jokes, um, which is the one the one bit where he's just like um, uh, that. We need to change the sheets in that. Whoa, in that womb, womb, yeah, yeah. We, need, we need to change the sheets in that womb, which I, is funny. That's just a great pun. Yeah, room and womb. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but well just done. and then and then at the end to just have Aziz Ansari just like kind of looking off into the distance, like in utter disbelief that he just lost a friend. Yeah. So it, I think it's just totally earned. What in the sketch could be improved upon? What different directions would you take the sketch, Seth? 
Okay, this is this is minor, but since we we just spent a few minutes talking about misogyny, that that bit where during the whole Chinese shirt thing, uh, Aziz Ansari says Ching Chong, that could have that. I mean, I think we've already established who they are. I didn't think we needed that. Yeah, honestly, I might have liked to have seen a follow up in the same episode, like a week later, just to check in on them and see yeah. what's happening. Uh, and especially if we can just get down to there's just one of them left trying to run the show, I, w- I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have seen so just it, they, 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 like it's the same sketch, but just have like little nuggets of like how their relationships have changed now that it's the end of the world. Um, so like they're in a bunker together and they're putting on this show. So like 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 what what's the dynamic now? You know, um, I think that would have been really cool. Also, a, 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 just a, a side bit would be like um, if they like okay, now we're going to go out to the callers and they just press the call button line and it's just static. Yeah, and they oh, just yeah. and they yeah. just sit in it for a while, giving a sense of the uh, of what their audience is or yeah. was yeah, or yeah. isn't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I would love to see how like like what's changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Ek, anything you would do differently in this sketch? Uh, well, well, coming full circle, what what we started talking about this with Rob Rob Hubel, he has a character, he has a role to play in this, but he's kind of um, he's kind of underutilized in many respects, and he is sort of disposable. So I guess it maybe would have been nice to see a little more development of that character before they ultimately kill him off. Just so... Spoiler alert. What? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Cat's out of the bag on that one. Um, But just, just so maybe as an audience, as an audience, you have a little more sympathy for, for when he's gone rather than just in the abstract of, of seeing someone that's a part of this team get, Brutally murdered outside in a nuclear holocaust. All right, everyone. Let's talk about our final thoughts on the day. Anyone? Actually, let's go to you, EK. As the guest, why don't you come up with a rating system for how we're going to rate these sketches today? Uh, because there is a a bag of Swedish, Swedish fish in front of me, I'm going to say... Pick a number, pick a type of Swedish fish. What are the types of Swedish yeah, fish? Oh, I was going to ask that. <laughs> I are there are there multiple types of Swedish fish? Well, they're small, there's bigger, they come in different colors and flavors. There's the red is the classic, but let's let's go with the classic red Swedish fish. Cool. You guys always pick stuff that I don't know about, and you know, it makes me feel like stunted. I don't think you need to know a lot about Swedish fish, a cherry candy, to uh, accurately give a number on this. I, okay. I think cherries being generous. It's it's more of a like a like a gel. It's a red flavor. Cherry it's a, it's type. Red. It's a it's a goo red in 40? the shape of a fish. Of the yeah. 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 Julian, I I also I have to point out that always is is twice. We we did that twice. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. Well, you know, it it's it's starting a pattern. Okay. Okay. No, that's There's fair. A trend. That's fair. Okay. There's so, a trend. All right. So Swedish fish. Swedish fish. Julian, how many Swedish fish would you give the uh, halftime inspiration sketch? Out of what? Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um, I will give it um, a thousand Swedish fish because I thought it was okay. Um, I thought that like it was uh, it, it 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 did it did exactly what it wanted to do, which is cool. That's why it's got a thousand. Um, but, um, as far as like, actually, I don't know. I give it, I give it 1500 Swedish fish. 1500. EK, how many Swedish fish would you give halftime inspiration? 
I would give it at least 87, 87. Swedish fish. All right. Mm. And, you know, since we have not established what the value of one Swedish fish is, I'm just going to say that it's, you know, it's one of my favorites. I love it. I would even be willing to say 735 Swedish fish. Damn. Good. Yeah. Good. So just moving the decimal point over just an inch. Yeah. Just round, a bit. round the two. So, yeah. Round the two. Uh, I think I'd have to give it about 20, 25 Swedish fish because that's about as many as I can eat before the flavor starts to cloy, mm. uh, which is pretty much how I feel about that sketch. They gave me just the right amount. I agree. I think I would give it uh, I would give it two Swedish fish for the uh, number of Super Bowl rings that Peyton Manning has won. Uh, it's no five Super Bowl rings, five Swedish fish like Tom Brady, but that's an issue Gross. for a different podcast. How about... Also, Boston sucks. Boston sucks. We can talk about this after class. Is this about sports? How about Morning Zoo? Seth, how many Swedish fish would you give Morning Zoo? Morning Zoo? I'm actually going to give 18 Swedish fish because I could use a little bit more. Fair enough. EK? You know, I'm with Julian on this one. I think it achieved what it wanted to do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it 1,000 Swedish fish. A thousand Swedish fish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm a. I'm also good with a thousand Swedish fish, because uh, it was well executed. It's it, it's hard to come across a, a sketch that's like that well executed. You know. Absolutely. I think I'd give it one Swedish fish, but one Swedish fish that's been horribly mutated. One of fish, fish, uh, absolutely. It's fair. This, absolutely it's fair. what brought the downfall of Rob Hubel. It's, yes. <laughs> it was one. Horribly maimed Swedish fish. How many Swedish fish would you give Rob Hubel specifically in that sketch? I'd I'd give him at least uh, I'd give him about thirty. I'd be like, here you go, Rob. It's all right. Have these Swedish fish. Don't what worry is a about breast it. amount of Swedish fish? <laughs> the, the better pun there. What is what, what is, is the, the breast? I know, I know, I know. Of yeah, Swedish I fish. It. I heard it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Sketch Nerds. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends about this show. You can find out more about the show as well as Bad Medicine on badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where there will be links to the sketches we talked about today. If you want to listen to episodes of the show, you can find us on SoundCloud, Sp Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. For EK, Julian, and Seth, I'm Andy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.